So yeast is one of those, or leaven, is one of those small things that have a great effect on the, the whole thing. So if you compare the um, bread with that doesn't have yeast, and that's flat bread, and I think we have a, right, with bread that has yeast, there's a huge difference. It affects everything. And the yeast itself doesn't, like, have any nutritional value. I just add it, and, 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 and sometimes, I mean, you can taste it a little bit, but a lot of times it has no taste, but it has a huge effect. And so we need to beware of the additives, right, in everything. And so um, I brought this sauce because one of the younger folks said, hey, you're going to bring the sauce this Sunday, Pastor? And I'm like, okay, well, and just in case, I brought the sauce. And, um, and if you ever read the in ingredients on some of this, like, what are these things? Now, one of the things I saw was modified food starch. Okay, modified food starch. And I didn't know what that was, and so I looked it up, and it's, yeah, some sort of, uh, you know, thing that acts as like a, a, a thickening agent. And so it's a little additive, but it thickens the whole thing. It's also an anti-caking agent. Now, I don't know, but anyone who's anti-cake, I don't want anything to do with that. I love cake, right? So... But, and the thing is, is then I saw that some people are actually allergic to that additive. And so we need to know what's getting mixed in. Because a lot of times, even if we don't notice it, even if we're not aware of it, it has a huge effect. So too um, with our faith. And that's really one of the things that Jesus brings out in this passage, that the disciples, those following him, need to be aware of the additives um, in the spiritual food that he's been giving. And he literally feeds a whole big crowd, but then he warns his disciples about the faithless teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now, Pharisees and Sadducees are two religious groups in that day. Um, that their, their teaching, their influence has a wide-ranging effect, like yeast. Um, it affects the spiritual food that Jesus has been giving uh, to the crowds. So let's look at the context. Now, if you were here last week, you know the context. We can move on. But for those of you who aren't, this passage, this, in, in chapter 15, Jesus, he, um, in the beginning of it, he contrasted the opposition from the religious leaders who were focused on external things, uh, on traditions. He made the contrast between what they were after and with what matters to God, a true faith uh, from a transformed heart. And Jesus, he called the, the religious leaders blind guides. But in contrast, this Gentile woman, this Canaanite woman, um, in the region of Sidon, she expresses such great faith in Jesus that he heals, he casts demons out of her daughter. Well, Jesus, he's on the way back from that miracle, back to the Sea of Galilee, and most likely he's going through an area that's very heavily Gentile. So yes, Galilee is in Israel, but at that time there were sections that were heavily Jewish, but then there was also sections that were heavily Gentile. And he most likely, and we get this from some of the Greek words that I won't bore you with, um, that, that he's going through this Gentile region. 
And what's interesting is that when Dave read that scripture, you might have thought, did we already read that? Because a couple weeks ago, didn't Jesus feed a crowd? Yes, he did, back in chapter 14. And what Jesus did there was he healed people. He had compassion on the people by healing them, but then he also um, fed them miraculously. And now he's doing the same things in a Gentile region. To show that, yes, uh, and if you remember this from last week, that, that um, yes, Jesus came as the Savior of Israel, but here he's foreshadowing that the Savior is actually for the Savior for the world. He's going to be a Savior for the world. So he's doing that same kind of spiritual feeding, that miracle in this Gentile region. And that's probably why uh, we have Matthew sharing two reports of these miracles. Because, again, the gospel writers, they don't include every single miracle that Jesus ever did. They can only talk about so much, and so they choose things for a purpose. But here, Matthew, in a space of two weeks, excuse me, two weeks for us, or two chapters, excuse me, um, talks about two of these miraculous feedings. So why does he do that? Well, again, as I just said, number one is that he's in a Gentile area. And he wants, and Matthew wants to show that, yes, Jesus came for the Jewish people, but that's not where it's going to end. He's going for the world. But the second reason, I think, and this is where we get in later, is to emphasize the solid grounds for faith that his disciples should have. Now, they don't seem to have, but that they should have. In other words, the miracles that Jesus performs, it's, it's not random. They point to who Jesus is. And in this case, it's like a double witness. In other words, if you missed it the first time, I'm going to do it again <laughs> so that you don't miss it this time that Jesus can provide, that we have certain plans, certain ideas of the ways that we think God should be working, but we're not God. And Jesus can take those things we're expecting, like, hey, we're in the middle of the wilderness. There's no food here. And show not once, but twice, I got this. That Jesus is not just the Lord of heaven, he's the Lord of earth. And as far as he's concerned, what's, what's done in heaven can be done on earth, what's done in earth. And it's, he's the Lord of all. And by doing this, it's like a double witness, establishing who Jesus is and that his ministry is to the world. And after this feeding, Jesus crosses the lake just like before. And he's immediately confronted by the religious leaders, again, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And it's interesting to see the contrast in the reactions. When Jesus heals the crowd, in verse 30, uh, 1531, it says that he heals them, he feeds them, and they glorified the God of Israel. But here, he goes across, and I'm sure the Pharisees and Sadducees heard he's been you know, making bread in the wilderness again. Um, and what, what's their reaction? They want a sign. 16.1, it says, they asked for a sign from heaven. And remember, they asked for that before in chapter 12. And Jesus, he says to them, you can read the signs in the heavens, but you can't read the signs from heaven. <laughs> Because he says, you see the skies at, at night, and you say, oh, the weather's going to be good. And you see the skies red in the morning, and you say, oh, no, it's, the weather's going to be bad. And we have, that, uh, we have a saying, right, red at night, sailors delight, red in the morning, sailors take warning. I don't know, I've heard that before. But um, 
Well, yeah, it's, it's the same idea. And he's saying to them, oh, you want a sign. You can't even read the signs you've already been given from heaven. You, in fact, can read and predict things from heaven, but you can't read and predict those things that are given uh, by heaven. And so as Jesus did back in Matthew 12, 38, when the Pharisees asked for a sign back then, Jesus repeats and says, the only sign that you will be given is the sign of Jonah. And although he doesn't go through it here, back there, you know, the sign of Jonah is Jonah was a prophet and he was swallowed by the big fish and he was in the ocean for three days and then the fish spit him out. And he says, meaning that Jesus, he's going to die. He's going to be buried for three days and then come back to life. He's going to be, he's going to rise from the dead. He says, that's, that's the sign that you're going to receive. That's the only sign left that's going to be given to you. Well, after they leave and the confrontation with the Pharisees is over, that's when Jesus warns the disciples because he knows, all right, we're out of, you know, we're, we're, we're away from the Pharisees and Sadducees now, but their faithless teaching can still have an influence. Right? He warns the disciples in verses 5 through 12 against the, the leaven the influence of these faithless religious leaders. He says to them in verse six, right? Watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. That miraculous feeding, it was an object lesson for the physical and spiritual food that is now available through Jesus. However, the Pharisees and the Sadducees introduce some, some doubt, some skepticism to Jesus' bread of life. And look what's going on. The, the crowd saw Jesus' work as evidence that Jesus is the Messiah. They saw it as a sign that pointed to who God is, that who Jesus is. But the Pharisees, they saw it as a reason for increased skepticism. Because Jesus didn't line up with their preconceived ideas. And because he doesn't line up with their preconceived ideas and how God's supposed to work, what the Messiah is supposed to do, then they say, all right, that's not a reason to, to believe more. That's a reason to increase our opposition. That's the leaven. That is the unbelief of the Pharisees. And Jesus is warning the disciples because the Pharisees' faithlessness is especially difficult to see because it's cloaked in religiosity. So many times, faithlessness is cloaked in religiosity, that we do religious things not because we truly believe that Jesus is the Lord of heaven and earth. We do things because we want to keep our religion going, and we don't actually trust that Jesus has it handled. And that's what Jesus, he warns. He says, this... He warns his disciples against the leaven of the, the Pharisees, and it's lost on the disciples at first. He warns them against the leaven of the religious leaders, and they think, oh, no, we forgot bread. Uh, and, and so Jesus, he's calling us out about it. And then Jesus, he's like, get over the physical bread. Don't you believe by now that I have that handled? And then he brings up both miraculous feedings. He's, he's like, all right, when, when there was five loaves and we, feed, and we fed 5,000 people or 5,000 men, how many baskets were left over? 
because there were a whole mess of baskets left over. And then he says, and what about the, the seven loaves? We fed 4,000. And even then we had lots of leftovers. It's not about the bread. And Jesus says in 1611, how is it that you don't understand that I don't speak about bread? The lessons that the disciples need to learn, it's not about managing physical resources. It's not about stepping in because, well, Jesus doesn't have it handled. No, it's trusting in who Jesus is. They need to be aware, not of literal yeast, but again, the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. That's what he says in 12. That's where it becomes clear, right? It says, then they understood, then, after all this, that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of the bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So yes, it is the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the false teaching, but all of that is undergirded by a lack of faith in Christ. That's what undergirds the teaching. And that's why Jesus says to his disciples, oh, you of little faith, because it's that um, he's calling out their faith because that's where the Pharisees and Sadducees, they didn't have that faith. And now it's leaking over into the disciples. That's why he calls the Pharisees and Sadducees an adulterous generation. It's not because they were sleeping around or anything. I mean, they may have been doing that, but it was more be it's because that's what, that's what um, in the Old Testament, that's what God says to people who are faithless, people who don't trust in God and follow him. He calls them adulterous. So the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees is an attitude of unbelief that could not see Jesus as the Messiah despite all that he had said and done, despite all the signs that he was giving them. They claimed to await the Messiah. They claimed that they followed God, but they would only receive the Messiah according to their, on their own terms. So they were focused on what was not there instead of what was there. So even though Jesus fed these huge crowds, they focus on, well, wait a minute, isn't the Messiah supposed to destroy the Romans? He's not doing that. See, that unbelief, it, it creeps up into our hearts, in the disciples' hearts, because we start to focus on what God is not doing instead of what he's already done. And that is why Jesus denounced them in their teaching, because they demanded signs, other signs, instead of believing in the bountiful evidence already supplied. And when I say bountiful evidence, that's represented in the bountiful leftovers of those miraculous feedings, right? Twelve baskets. And Jesus' warning comes because, again, now the disciples, they are unwittingly reflecting that same unbelief in Jesus' person and miracles. They're focused on the bread, even though Jesus two times showed he had that covered. And that's why next, pass, next week's passage is so pivotal. And so next week, uh, Pastor Peter will be preaching. I'll be on vacation. Um, and he's preaching on uh, Matthew 16, where the apostle Peter confesses that Jesus is the Christ. It doesn't matter what the crowds say. And Jesus says to him, blessed are you, Simon, by our, you know, Peter, because this hasn't been revealed to you by flesh and blood, but has been revealed to my father, from my father in heaven. They, they, Peter receives that revelation. And the miracles Jesus performs, 
They, they don't compel faith, but they give sufficient reason for faith in Christ. And then it opens up a door to the kingdom where we're, we start to see, when we step into that door of faith and we see Jesus for who he is, then we start to see all the things that God has done, all of the ways that he is Lord of heaven and earth. And then our lives start to become infused with the purposes and the power of God, bigger than ourselves. Because that's a part of the problem, is that we get stuck on ourselves, on our own ability, instead of who God is and who Jesus is. Sorry, so we unpacked that scripture. But how do we apply it today? A couple lessons, I think. You know, one is if you're here or you're watching online, maybe you are skeptical that this Jesus is the son of God. He's the savior that died for our sins and rose from the dead to bring eternal life. Now, first of all, I want to say, I am glad that you are here. I'm glad that you are watching because that means that you are still open. And I want to encourage that. But here there is this warning that Jesus gives that don't let our pre-existing lack of faith keep us from seeing what Jesus has said and done. And so I invite you to take a moment and contemplate in the scriptures what Jesus has done instead of focusing on what he hasn't done. Because that is the temptation, and we all do it. It's like the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They're asking God for a sign, if, 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 implying, oh, if God would just do this, then I would believe. And so many of us have been there. Some of us are still there where you're like, if, you know, if God would only appear to me physically, then I would believe. Again, focusing on what we don't have instead of what we do have. Or if God would only heal me or heal my loved one, then I would believe. Or if God would help me get out of this situation, then I would believe. Or I, I can't believe in a God who would allow so much evil in the world. And so saying, all right, this is the sign that I need. I'll, I'll only believe if, God, you show me this particular sign. And therefore, we neglect and don't see the things that he's already done. It's as if until God does those things, we'll not consider any of the signs that he's done. Any of the signs as points to who Jesus is. And maybe you're in that place, whether you haven't trusted Jesus or you, you've, you've trusted Jesus once in your life, but you're like, ah, I, I stopped following him because he didn't do this, or I wanted to see this sign and he didn't do it. Well, may I encourage you, remember what Jesus said, the, the, the only sign that will be given is the sign of Jonah. And that is a warning and it might sound threatening, but instead you should see it as a wonderful promise. That there is one sign that remains, and it's the only sign that's important right now. That if no matter how much you have refused to see the other signs, no matter how much you've walked away from Jesus or blamed him for your troubles, it says if, if that you receive the sign that Jesus died for our sins and he rose from the dead for our sins, to defeat our sins, then that's the door. That's the only sign you need to enter into his kingdom. And that sign is still valid today. It still points to who Jesus is. It still points to God's love for us. So no matter what you've done before and how many times you've maybe skipped over the signs and the things that God has done in your life, as we all have, the door is still open. The sign is still there that points to Jesus and points to his eternal kingdom. So walk into that door if you've never done that before. The other thing is that the yeast, though, of, of, our, of our world affects everything we do. 
And, and we, as believers, if, if you have trusted Jesus, if, if you believe in him, if you're a follower like the disciples in the boat, we can still think of God, we can think of Jesus as, all right, Jesus, I'm only going to follow you. I'm only going to trust you if you do things on my terms. So we don't say, I need a sign to believe in Jesus as the son of God. We say, God, I need a sign to know that you're here or you're doing this. But it always means that the sign is the one we want to see. Not the one that God's given, not the one, not a plan on his path, but this whole sermon series is a story bigger than your own. God's story is so much bigger than ours, and he's doing so many things, and we miss what he's doing because we have this idea that this is the sign that I need to prove God is doing this or that. And we miss out. Something is going wrong, perhaps, in your life. Oh, my kids are going wayward. I, I can't pay the bills. Um, relationships are difficult. Our first inclination is often to what? Take control. Or, oh, no, I asked Jesus about this, but I don't see him working, so I guess it's up to me. And we immediately take that. We don't see God at work. Or so many times, folks are like, oh, I'll believe in God if he heals me. And over the course of my ministry, I've seen this many times. And then, you know, a couple of years later, I'll see that person. And I'll be like, oh, you're well, you're good. Oh, I prayed for you. Like, they're like, oh, yeah, um, you know, I, I went to the doctor and, and they got me better. And I'm like, oh, see, God, like he healed you. Like, oh, no, that was the doctors. Again, meaning like, oh, oh the, the sign I want to see is not healing through medicine. It's got to be miraculous. It's got to be a show for me to know it's God. As if he's not, pro, if his providence doesn't cover the miracle and the medicine. No, it does. And we praise him for that. We need to, but sometimes we miss it. We miss that God is, and Jesus is Lord of heaven and earth. We fail to see the spiritual significance in our lives. We fail to see that God is doing something, that Jesus is doing something. And so we think, oh, we got to take care of it. Or we don't see what he's doing. Like, again, the disciples in the boat focused on bread. Unless Jesus does some sign that aligns with what we want and we expect, we often don't see it. We are a faithless generation. So what does it look like? What does it look like to, to trust Jesus in the, in the everyday of life, to, to see when God does something and so, instead of saying, oh God, I wish you had worked there, but I had to take care of it, to see God in the mundane, to see God in the everyday things of life. I mean, how, how do we do that? I think one of the best ways to show how to do that or an example of that is, is through an example, right? And so I've actually asked my good friend, my best friend, Greg Cole, Dr. Greg Coleman, uh, he is teaching at um, Amherst, uh, Amherst College. Um, one of the things that I really appreciate about Greg is we always talk on the phone and we're always reminding each other of what God has done. And so when I thought, all right, what's a, I need to come up with an example of, you know, what does it look like when God steps in in a way you don't expect and it's not, you know, these signs, but yet God is at work. And I thought, oh, well, Greg will probably have eight or nine stories about that. So I asked Greg to come share a testimony about, about that, about how God uh, works uh, in the natural and the supernatural. So uh, Greg, would you come and uh, share a testimony? Let me...
for me to hear and meditate on. The example I'll give is when I moved here, I came here to pursue a PhD. I left everybody and everyone I knew in California. I had just joined an amazing church. It was a small church that met at night, which I thought was awesome. Um, it allowed for me to build really awesome relationships with people my own age. And we were growing. We were getting ready to expand. And the Lord said, no, I'm going to have you go get a doctorate degree. I said, okay. So I moved across the United States, moved to New England. It took me some adjustment. Um, and in that time, I joined another church. And in that time, that's when I'd say that I like this idea of the leavening started kind of popping up in my life. So the first thing was I was at UMass, you know, research one institution, top 25, very competitive. And one of the first things I heard when I got there was that, you know, you really need to make school your top priority because if you don't, you may never get a job. And I said, okay, that's going to be hard to, you know, navigate. All right, got to put my energy into school. Then I found a church plant. Um, that was there in the center of town, and I felt the Lord calling me to join there. And then I heard from them, you know, if you don't put the Lord first, you won't be blessed. So I felt very torn. And for years, I would feel guilty if I were doing more things with school. And then if I'm at school and I'm thinking, God, I have this thing tonight at church, I just felt torn always. In the middle of all of that, um, I was leaving campus one night. I had just finished uh, teaching a class, and I was hit by a car crossing the street. And yes, that should be the reaction. But at the time, I thought, uh, I don't know what to do. So I exchanged information with this young man as though we had been in a car accident, because I didn't, I didn't know to call the cops. Um, then eventually was evaluated, and, and they determined that I had lost about, what was it, Joe, like 85% of the usage in my arm. So I could not write for almost two years. Not to mention the PTSD that comes with being hit by a car. So every time I was in a crosswalk, I'd have a full-on meltdown. Joe's witnessed this before. I'm like yelling at children, get out of the crosswalk. Um, so I have that to overcome. And I'm thinking, God, there's no way. There's no way on this earth that I'm going to be able to get this done. So the leavening just kind of increases. And then our church starts to have some issues, and we're starting to kind of shrink in size, and our pastor leaves abruptly. And we were at a really important crossroad of like, are we going to hold on as a church or are we going to close? And so the demands, the need for us to be more involved and serve more had increased. And so Joe and I were sitting at Cushman Market in Amherst. And I said, Joe, I don't know what I'm going to do, man. I feel like the Lord brought me here to get this degree. I want to be obedient. But I feel like the church really needs me. And I just don't know what to do. So the first sign I get is God uses Joe um, who's very practical, very pragmatic. And I was shocked by what he said, which is, I don't know why I feel this, Greg. And we weren't really that close either. This is like the beginning of our friendship. But he said, the Lord is going to use your writing, your dissertation to glorify himself. And in this season, consider it your spiritual act of worship. It's like, okay, so I don't have to go to church anymore, right? Like I just get to write. Um, and that's not what happened. I still served. I still went to church. And in that time, I'm still going to physical therapists trying to get you know, mobility back in my arm. And I just said to the Lord one day, I said, God, if you don't give me the motivation and you don't give me the strategy, and more importantly, you don't give me the words, I'm not writing this thing. I just won't finish it because I'm too weak. I don't have anything to do. And I'm so, I was so full of doubt at that point. Um, so then I wake up one day and the Lord said, you know, here's what you're going to do. And it was like a strategy had been downloaded into my head. And I'll share the strategy with you. I asked Joe, could I share it? I said, this is appropriate to share at church. But um, anybody who knows me knows I like food. I like, I like good food, right? Buffalo wings. And, and then occasionally I get a little fancy. I like escargot, right? 
and then I got to wash it all down with a glass of wine, right? So the Lord kind of showed me, he said, okay, if you write through the week, you can reward yourself with a meal of your choice, like something you want to eat. And this is the meal I came up with was buffalo wings, escargot, and wine. And I called my parents. I said, okay, guys, I'm a starving grad student. I can't afford this meal every week. Could you guys loan me some money? And they said, well, why? I said, well, the Lord told me if I... And they said, well, if the Lord said it. So they, get, they would give me the money to buy the wine and buy the escargot. And when I tell you guys, it was miraculous because about midway through the week, right, with all the stress of trying to write this, this giant book, I'd start to have this hankering for a buffalo wing. And I'm like, all right, I want a buffalo wing today. And I go, wait, 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 you can't have it until you finish your writing. So I kid you not, in about four months, I wrote a 230-page dissertation. Praise God, right? I had a lot of buffalo wings. I had a lot of escargot. And I got it all done. And the day of the defense, Joe was there. He, he'll remember this. There were about 60 people in the room, 60 people that I had met in life from church and students I taught, colleagues at UMass. And I defended my dissertation. I passed, right? Nobody was on the fence about whether or not I should get it. And so, you know, I'm like, all right, it's done. But I don't have a job, right? I've, I've served this church, like, crazily, right? Like, I gave all my energy to this church. And now I got the dissertation done, but I don't have a job. And Joe's like, God's going to, God's going to, he's going to get you. You know, you're all right. And I'm like, all right, Joe, we'll see. So, I started applying for jobs furiously, and the blessing was UMass actually did offer me two jobs. They said, we will make a job for you. You're great. We want to keep you, but they would be temporary positions, and I wanted a full-time, tenure-track job. Well, the Lord works it out such that right around the time I defend, and if I had defended earlier, this is what's important, is I probably would have picked a different school, right? But right when I finish, literally within weeks of finishing, a job pops up, and it's to work at a Christian college in Texas. And I said, huh, that's kind of weird. <laughs> um, but I said, I'll apply. I, they're, they're Lutheran, and I'm like, I'm not a Lutheran, so I don't think I'll get the job. But I applied, and I got the job, you guys. So I'm now teaching at a Christian college in Austin, Texas. So I was, that was answer number two. And then once I'm there, you know, I'm thinking, it's a small school. Who's going to read my dissertation? You know, I guess I'm kind of done with that side of things. And I start noticing that it's being downloaded. So I said, like, okay, I got like a couple hundred downloads this week. That's kind of cool. And then the next one comes in. You had 2,000 downloads. At this point, my dissertation has been downloaded 170,000 times across 200 countries, <laughs> right? And so I'm like, okay, God, I get it now, right? Like, I, I have to trust you. And so what's great is um, I found an editor who wants to publish it. I have to rework it. And one of the things that I've struggled with is writing, right? I'm like, oh, man, how am I going to write this thing when I'm teaching at Amherst this summer? I got to see all my friends. Family stuff is going on. And the Lord's like, did you ask me to download the strategy again? Did you ask me for the words? And so I've been reminded just in the last week that, like, that's what I have to do. Um, and I wanted to say, I don't know why I felt it was on my heart to share this with somebody, but I think sometimes we don't, we say, God, I need an answer. A no is an answer. Right, A no is an answer. And I think that was something it took me a while to learn. Was sometimes when God says, no, you're not going to graduate now. You're going to have to go through some stuff before you can leave. I didn't think he was responding. Right? I didn't think he was answering. But now when I look at um, where my life is and how he's blessed me, I can see that those no's were an answer. And when he says no, you can say, thank you, Lord. You know, Amen. Praise your name. Because 
you answered me, even if it was a no, right? That is an answer. Um, so thank you guys for letting me share my testimony. Be praying for me. <laughs> Thank you, Greg. So I, one of the reasons I wanted Greg to share something like that and, and, or that is that, you know, in a, from a skeptical look, you might be like, oh, yeah, that's just plain stuff, right? That's just the plain, mundane things of life. But no, like God is Lord of that. Just like in the wilderness, Jesus, he shows up and gives food. Um, yes, that was a miracle. Um, but what did the Pharisees do? They, they looked at the things that he didn't do. Um, and, and so what I want to encourage us today to do is look at your life with fresh eyes. Okay. You know, in, in fact, when Greg and I were talking about his experience getting his PhD, like we looked at it again with these fresh eyes of the kingdom. And so that maybe some of the things that you've been going through that you have thought, oh, God's not in this. Well, maybe, maybe he is. He is in it. He is in it. And he is guiding your steps. And he is Lord. He is powerful. He can bring you to that next place. So don't be unbelieving because that's the temptation, right? It's to be like, all right, God, I expected this, 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 and this. And it's not happening like that. It's happening like this, 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 and this. As, as Greg just talked about, things happened a lot differently than he planned, than he thought. And yet God is in that. And, you know, uh, Greg talked about his dissertation being downloaded so many times. And in, you know, in, the, in his foreword to his um, dissertation, he gives glory to God. And they, that might be like, well, that's not a big deal. Well, in academia, that is a big deal. In, in his field, to have someone downloading that and looking, wait, this guy is giving glory to God. That's intense. <laughs> Doesn't seem intense, but it is. And, and again, what in your life do you need to look at with fresh eyes, with fresh kingdom eyes? Let's pray. Holy Spirit, would you move about this place into our hearts and open them up? Lord, open our eyes. There are many here, Lord, who have been going through some difficulties Lord, there are many here who have been having doubts because life hasn't been going the way they planned. Lord, there are many of us who are looking for signs of your presence, of signs that you're at work. And Lord, we confess now that we have missed those signs that you've put right in front of us. And Lord, we confess that many have missed the sign of all signs, that you died on the cross, you rose from the dead to prove your love, to prove your power over all sin, over all death. Lord, would we open our hearts to receive that sign and so it would color everything that we see today. That because we've received that, Lord, we would see how you're working on the mountains in the valleys as we sang. That you are the God, Lord, of the high places, of the low places. That, Lord Jesus, you walk not just in the miraculous, but in the mundane. 
So Lord, open our hearts so that we would see that. Lord, show us so that we can follow you in spirit and in truth. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.